You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dylan Spilko. I'm here with managing editor Lauren Roche and Sam Ostry, who's back for another podcast. And today we are going over the Maryland football win over Illinois and we're looking ahead further on in the schedule, just as we do every week. And so takeaways from Illinois, it was a good win for Maryland to come out with the 2017 win. What are your just overall thoughts from Maryland's third win of the season? And they are now 3-0 and for the first time since 2016. Yes, yeah, so it was a thriller, number one. I don't think it was necessarily the, res- the, the game went the way we expected to. Obviously, Talia and the whole um, Terps offense struggled in that first half. Only got three points that first half, and the rest of the way, they they really just they turned it on. They were a much better version of themselves. And the thing the thing that I'm taking away from this game, the big picture takeaway for me, it's that they've been two and zero before all those years that we talked about on last week's pod, podcast. Going to this game, they've been two and zero before, but that third game has always been a letdown game. But th- this when we've been talking about this culture change, this shift, they faced adversity, which Loxley talked about after the game and in Tuesday's press conference. They faced adversity and they didn't, they didn't falter or anything. They took on adversity head on and they became 3-0 and for the first time since 2016, which against the Big Ten opponent, opponent in a hostile road environment on Friday night game in Illinois. So like that, that's everything that I feel like I needed to know about this culture change, that they were finally able to get over that 3-0 and hump which they hadn't been able to in Coach Loxley's um, career, but really just in the past few years in uh, Maryland football history. So it, it was encouraging for sure. There was, which we'll get into the nitty-gritty stuff about the offense and the defense, there were certainly things that they need to build on and work on as they continue. The, the schedule only gets more difficult in Big Ten. But they're 3-0, and and that's really what matters at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that, you know, they're not getting too excited about 3-0. and Nick Cross said it yesterday at availability that it's kind of just one step to continuing to get to where they want to be. But to me, I agree with you, Sam, that that is my biggest takeaway from this game as well, is that they didn't fall into the same trap that they've been falling into. Um, Starting 3-0 for the first time in this long is exciting and promising for them. And, you know, going into, there's a very real possibility that they're going into playing um, Iowa at home under the lights 4-0, not to look ahead, but you know, this could have been the game that kind of got them early on, especially playing on the road so early. And I mean, the crowd turnout was pretty unbelievable at Illinois. I don't think anybody was expecting there to be that much energy there for the entirety of the game like there was. So I think that kind of their resilience against kind of the odds that were against them, you know, the game not starting till 9 p.m. Eastern definitely has some sort of impact. Them traveling and all that first road game, first Big Ten game, really telling that they were able to still pull out the win in the exciting fashion that they did and see what that does moving forward. Yeah, for me, you know, I, I can you can look at it kind of in two ways. It's not really the most impressive win. You beat an Illinois team that's projected near the bottom of the Big Ten at the start of the season. And for about 90% of the game, it looked as though Maryland's it looked as though Maryland didn't was just a shell of the team. Uh, that they were in the first two weeks of the season, rightfully so. I mean, they scored uh, 92 combined points in the first two games of the season, and then you come out with just three points at the half against a subpar fighting Illini defense. 
And then they were really only able to figure it out early in the second half. And then once again, the offense stalled as Illinois adjusted. So, I mean, Maryland, they had, they were down 17-10 with the game on the line and Illinois was converting third downs. And there was a big third down late in the game. It must've been less than five minutes left or it was halfway through the fourth quarter and Illinois had a third and eight. And then they completed a, Brandon Peters completed like a 20 yard pass. And at that point, I truly thought that Maryland was dead in the water at that point, trailing by seven, offense couldn't get going. Uh, but they got really lucky. I mean, you got to give credit to, to Leah Tagovailoa, who put together a really good drive at the end of the game to tie the game at 17 all for Maryland. And Fleet Davis with an excellent touchdown catch, made a spin move and dodged another player to get in the end zone to tie the game. And then obviously the defense comes through big at the end with that stop. I mean, not a lot of people really talking about that part of it, more of just Maryland's last drive. But that stop was huge. It was basically a minute, uh, two minutes on the clock, Illinois had the ball back. And I rem- the first down didn't go as Illinois planned. They might have moved backwards. And then they had a second and 21. And I remember Illinois called the timeout. And I couldn't believe that Illinois called the timeout at that time because Maryland still had two timeouts. It was already a second and 21. And the last thing that they want to do is give Maryland the ball back. But, I mean, that timeout call there was crazy. And if Illinois doesn't call the timeout there, who knows what happens that game. But uh, when all said and done, Joseph Petrino nails that 32-yarder. Maryland wins the game. And just to jump in there, it really was like an improbable win. I mean, they're down 17-10, like you said. They get the ball back with like a little over four minutes to go. And their offense has struggled the entire game, especially in the first half. They got a little bit going in the um, second half, a couple of costly turnovers that were fumbles. But really, their offense could not put together a drive to go down the field. And they had to go 86 yards down the field to score a touchdown, to tie the game up. And the whole, it felt like an improbable task at that point based on how poor their offense had been playing. But to win the game, but the, okay, but let's say they do that, they score that touchdown and tie the game, the game's going overtime. To, to win the game in regulation felt like there was no way that was even a possibility. But obviously the misfortunes happened for Illinois. Maryland gets the ball back, gets a nice 20 plus yard completion. And just like that, they're in field goal range and winning regulation. But I remember last week we were saying, um, like, in terms of Maryland's future in the Big Ten, if they can really compete with these top Big Ten opponents, we said that we expected them to blow Illinois out, and we expected them, if they can do that, then they compete with the top teams, the top teams in the Big Ten, because Illinois is really the second-to-worst team in the Big Ten behind Nebraska. But I kind of changed my tune on that a little bit based on this win, based because of the adversity they faced. Like, these are things that are fixable. They were driving down the field. They had two costly fumbles. They had some really bad discipline issues, which they've had kind of all season with some penalties. One was a targeting call earlier in the game. But these are things that I think they can clean up. And as they get, they not to look ahead from Kent State this weekend, which we'll get to, but as they play Iowa and then the rest is the Big Ten the rest of the way, I think these are things they can clean up. So I'm really not discouraged. Yes, they struggled in a lot of areas, but I'm not really discouraged by their ability to compete, get to those six wins to be eligible for a bowl game. I also think that the kind of the adversity that they faced really does showcase the playing to their level no matter who they're playing and not getting frazzled. I think that they did a really good job at not getting overwhelmed when the game was close so late in the game. And I do think that if they can at least continue to play to their level and play to their standard and play to their program standard, that they will be able to keep up and, you know, play some really respectable um, hard-fought games against some of these top opponents in the conference. 
Right. And uh, an important thing to remember is that no matter how you win the game, it all counts the same. So no matter how Maryland won that game, I mean, it was just important that they got added another win to their overall season win column. And they did just that. But I mean, it took a a long time for that offense to get going. And uh, you got to remember that Talia, I mean, he played four games last year. This was just his seventh game starting. It feels like he's been here for such a long time. But at the same time, he's basically just started his Maryland career. So, and he had a solid game himself. He went 32 for 43, 350 yards, one touchdown. Once again, didn't really make any mistakes, but there were times in that second half and obviously in the first half when they only managed three points where Tagovailoa really looked, I, I, don't, I don't want to say flustered because he usually looks poised in the pocket, but he seemed to be on the move a lot and they didn't really create that, that big play that really got them through the first two weeks of the season. There was that one throw uh, early, or it might have been in the first half. It was that uh, Rakim Jarrett 35-yard catch. That was really one of the only big plays that I can remember throwing-wise. And then Tully also had that 35-yard to rush to, to open the second half, right. So, I mean, the offense, I, I mean, they just couldn't seem to convert on many first downs. And they were two for 10 on third down in total. I mean, that just says a lot about how Illinois' defense played, but Maryland's offense just, you know, they didn't really, they didn't do enough to blow them out, but they, d- they did get the win. That was the most important part of it all. And Tyon Fleet Davis, once again, another positive factor, even though he had a, a big fumble in the red zone, he ended with the two Maryland touchdowns on the day, one receiving, one rushing, 11 attempts, 62 yards. I, I think it's fair to say that he's solidified himself as the lead back uh, behind him. Uh, Talia Tagovailoa had six carries, 25 yards. Isaiah Jacobs had just six carries as well, also went for 24 yards. And then Penny Boone had three rushes for 23 yards. So not much uh, elite competition behind Fleet Davis. And I think that he's really run away with the starting job. Yeah, I completely agree. He's definitely run away with the starting job. A couple things on Talia's performance that were at play. Number one, I think that you have to acknowledge he's played. That was his eighth start. That was his first real road game. I mean, last year there was no real road environments because obviously COVID, there's no fans and all that. First two games are at home. And that was a real Friday night road environment. Like Lauren said, it was, it was really a crazy atmosphere at Illinois. So that's something that's at play. Maybe his slow start. Maybe he's, maybe you said it a little frazzled. But, but the other thing was that he said, um, he was asked, like, what was the adjustments that he made in the second half that, that made that had you guys get going and they he talked about how there was some things that they didn't exactly prepare for with Illinois that they thought maybe they they would have seen from Illinois defense scheme wise and it didn't really show up so they had to adjust that which they obviously did in the second half and their offense was more efficient and but the last thing is when it mattered most he came up he came through I mean that four minute drill that he orchestrated he was five for six and obviously finished with the touchdown pass to Tyler Fleet Davis. So, I mean, really, like, the poise he showed there, the growth, the maturity, all of that was on display. And so I was, like, it may have not been his best performance, even though he put up 350 yards. It was, it was an, still an impressive performance for me, and he's getting the national recognition he deserves now because of it. And the other thing is about his decision-making, which is the zero turnovers. Um, like, through three games, he had four, I mean, seven in four games last year. Obviously, that's massive improvement. You're seeing him maybe run the ball to get out of scrambling 
get off situations when the, there's a break down the line. He'll throw it away when there's not receivers down the field, which is something he didn't do last year. So that's been the most impressive thing for me. In terms of the running back situation, yeah, I think uh, certainly Tyron Fleet Davis has secured it. Um, I think they, that was their expectation going into game one. He, it was a little, little bit of a split back through with him and Isaiah Jacobs. But then, as, we, as we're in week three now, I think it's pretty clear it's Tyron Flay Davis' backfield to lose. They're still going to implement um, Jacobs and even Penny Boone, who also had a few carries. He, he fumbled, too, um, near the goal line, actually. But the only, the only thing with the running back room is just taking care of the ball. I feel like they went away from the running, from the running game late in that second half, not only because they were down, but also because could they really trust their backs? I mean, they had two turnovers, and both of them were fumbles by the running backs. So that, that's a little difficult. So they need to um, take care of the ball more in the future. But yeah, Tanfley Davis is certainly the back. Yeah, and I also think it's important to note the versatility that he had against Illinois. He was also second behind Dante Dimas Jr. receiving in this game. And, you know, it kind of says a lot about everything that he's able to do. And really, the whole we talk a lot about all the weapons in the wide receiver room on this Maryland team. But really as a whole, you know, led by Talia, there really is a lot of... Um, a lot of different options to take and a lot of different places to defend. You know, Fleet Davis finished the game. He was targeted seven times. He had six receptions for 44 yards in that touchdown that you brought up. And I think it just says a lot and speaks volumes to kind of the way that he has really solidified his role as this, um, as the number one running back and just really is able to help make those big plays that Maryland needs. And I think that's what makes him the clear back is that there's really no other option in the passing game out of the backfield other than Fleet Davis. He's really exhibited his kind of shiftiness when he's catching those short passes, and he's been making the most out of his opportunities, and he's been quietly one of the most productive players on this offense and against Illinois, scoring the two touchdowns. I mean, it really showed. And then if you look at the receivers for Maryland, it used to be the, the, the Rakim and Dante show. But now against Illinois, we saw a more spread out offense when Maryland started to struggle. Uh, Tagovailoa hit uh, Brian Cobbs, Marcus Fleming, Corey Deitches, uh, Daryl Jones, and Jayshon Jones. So really everyone was getting in the mix. And the leading receiver for Maryland was Dante Demas with 77 yards. But it just shows how the game script for Maryland's offense, it kind of shifted because in those first two games, Jared and Demas were just racking up basically every single catch that they, I mean, that they could, and they were doing a great job with it. And then Maryland was starting to get a little shut down against Illinois, and they started to spread out the ball more. I mean, is that something to expect moving forward? I would expect it to the massive target share to go right back into Demas and Jared uh, moving along. But once you start facing tougher defenses, it helps that you have uh, guys like Jayshon Jones, uh, Jayshon Jones, and a. Uh, uh, Daryl Jones and a bunch of pass-catching tight ends, and Okonko didn't get in the mix against Illinois, but Maryland has a lot of pass-catchers, and they started to show that depth against Illinois, but, you know, is, is that something we should expect for Maryland's top two receivers? Under 100 yards, or are they going to go back to that massive target share moving forward? Well, you know, when they talk about, when everyone talks about Maryland's receiving room and how Loxus has is one of the best they've ever been part of, yes, it starts at the top with Dante and, Rak- and Rakim, but it's really the depth that that wide receiver room has. I mean, with Jay Sean Jones, Daryl Jones, even Brian Cobbs, who won most programs, if it wasn't such a crowded wide receiver room, he would be a starter. And he's obviously a senior leader in that room too. So like, yeah, it's, it's really just the depth of that wide receiver room, which only makes it easier for Talia, makes his job much easier, opens up the offense. 
And of course, Dante and Rakim are the two stars of the two best wide receivers on the team. So they're going to garner the most attention from every opposing defense. And all that does is open up the middle of the field for so many other receivers. Like in this game, it was uh, uh, just Sean Jones, who had five receptions for 70 yards. Um, or another game could be a tight end or even Tyon Fleet Davis in the passing game. So all it does is just, like, you're not going to, I don't think you're going to expect, like, under 100 receiving yards every single game from both those two guys in, in Rakim and, and Dante. But I do think that the defense, all the attention is going to be on the defense. But all right, you're putting your attention, as a defense, you're putting your attention on those two guys. Maryland has a lot of other weapons to go to, and it's just going to help Talia and, and really just allow this offense to take it to the next level. And I think um, Dante Dimas Jr. will continue to be that number one receiver for Maryland. He's been doing that for a long time. He has that consistency. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, some of these other receivers continue to break out and have great games because you can't defend all of them. You just can't. And they've said that before. And I would, like, I'm excited to see kind of how they continue to spread the passing game because I do think that Dante and Rakim will continue to be one and two. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's tighter coverage on them some games and one of these other receivers like Deshaun Jones or um, Daryl Jones or Brian Cobbs or really anyone who's in there getting the touches really does break through. I mean, we've seen Deshaun Jones in his first game as a Turf had a pretty unbelievable performance in 2018 against um, Texas, who was ranked at the time. And, you know, he's coming back from that ACL injury, but it just shows that he really does have so much potential and they all have potential and they're all fantastic recruits and like you said, Sam, a lot of them would be getting a lot more touches and playing time anywhere else in the country. And I just think that there's so much potential for them to also break out as stars in certain games. And, you know, Loxley describes them all as stars, including Brian Cobbs, who I think sees the least amount of time out of those five receivers. But I think that we can expect the passing game to continue to be spread. Um, Dante and Rakim to continue being one and two, but also I would not be surprised if there's a few games this season where a different receiver really does have that breakout performance. Yeah, and just quickly, you mentioned that Jay Sean Jones game against Texas uh, a couple years ago it kind of sparked a memory. And what was it? One rushing, one passing, one no, receiving. one receiving, and one, one special teams. No, so he threw the ball, and he received the ball, and he ran it in. Uh, so, oh, okay. So, hey, well, there was a passing touchdown. So okay, okay. Upset over Texas. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah, so Jayshon Jones, we know he's an impactful player and he's certainly going to get more touches in this uh, Maryland receiving core. So the offense only put up 20 points. They did put up 481 yards, and that might not be the greatest accomplishment against a, a pretty subpar Illinois defense, but they came to play. But Maryland just couldn't really convert that. Uh, they didn't have that much efficiency in the red zone, and they, were, they only ended up with 20 points. So... Moving on to the defense after now going over that 20-point offensive performance. Maryland led up a considerable amount of third downs. Illinois was 4 of 5 on third and short. Is that something moving forward that's going to concern you guys when Maryland starts heading into difficult Big Ten matchups, playing better offenses? I mean, Illinois did end with 335 yards. They only had three points at half, but they, some, they were able to move the ball against the Maryland defense, but credit to... Uh, the Terps defense as well, that they were able to stop Illinois wouldn't matter. They got a bunch of punts out of the fighting Illini and eventually only held them to 17 points. But uh, the defense was a big reason as to why Maryland stayed in the game. And a couple of key defensive players, once again, Nick Cross 
seven total tackles. He was easily the best player in that game from, from what I saw. Seven total tackles, four solo, one interception, three pass breakups. So he's continuing his stellar season as a defensive back for Maryland. And Jordan Mosley, once again, had a good game. He almost was thrown out for a targeting penalty. We'll get to discipline in a second. But he had six tackles, and three of those were solo. He also had one pass breakup. And the linebacker core defensive line, they basically handled their job. They held it down for the Terps. So the defense, once again, I mean, they're really the reason as to why Maryland is 3-0 and right now. Because if they weren't as good as they were against Illinois, Maryland could easily be standing at a 2-1 and record. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the defense was the shining light in this game. I don't think they win this game unless the defense performs um, the way it did. But at the same time, as I say that, they were also kind of their bend-don't-break self that we saw against West Virginia, too, and I think we're going to see a lot this season. I don't think that's something to be worried about necessarily because I don't, I don't expect Maryland to be putting up just 20 points against most opponents. I expect their offense to be much more fluid and and really just spectacular against other opponents, especially Illinois. Illinois doesn't have a very good defense, so it was kind of surprising. Things were just out of whack. We talked about that. But so I don't, so it's going to be the offense that carries, and the defense simply just needs to be bend, don't break, self, get those necessary turnovers, get those key turnovers, which they've done so far this season. They did against Illinois with a big interception in a crucial moment. But so I think that's, I'm not like worried about Maryland's defense because I really think that that they're a much improved defense and their secondary is what carries them. And so if they're secondary, like you said, Tarheeb still is, I mean, Nick Cross was the player of the game, undoubtedly against Illinois. Tarheeb still is a superstar too, back in the secondary for Maryland. So those two guys leading the secondary, Jordan Mosley, like I've talked about, I mean, you've Sam O rushing like as a linebacker, they, they, they really cover and they're, they have depth. So they really cover all aspects of the field. They're carried by their secondary, secondary, um, Opposing quarterbacks have a difficult time finding over receivers against them. I think you're going to continue to see that trend. If they can stop the rushing game, which they really did, I mean, only Illinois only averaged 3.3 yards per carry against Maryland, which is pretty impressive, um, especially because they had 45 rushing attempts. Um, so I think you're going to see just Maryland can, defense continue to get better. And it's not usually – most games you're not going to see, like, the defense outplay the offense like it did against Illinois. But I think you're going to see a solid Maryland defense the rest of the way. I think this weekend will also we'll get more into it in a bit, but I think this weekend will also be a really good test for, um, you know, against Kent State's running game. They were pretty strong running game, mobile quarterback, running back depth, all of that. So I think, kind of seeing how Maryland, it, this Illinois wasn't a loss, but I wonder if it was kind of like enough adversity for them to feel like almost have to bounce back from their performance. And this weekend will be a really great indicator of how Maryland can respond and you know, there will be some losses in there, but maybe these kinds of wins are also incredibly beneficial to this team to kind of see how they can rework things. And I do think, like, the defense in the rushing game isn't necessarily something that worries me per se, but I think depending on how this weekend goes, it's going to be a pretty big test for that. So we'll see. And I real quick, I just think you talked about Kent State. I think <coughs> the Kent State does have a good rushing attack, and it's going to be a great test and an indicator for what's coming into College Park next Friday night mm-hmm. um, in Iowa, who is just pounds and pounds the ball, and they have one of the best uh, rushing attacks in the entire country. Obviously, it's number th- ranked number five in the country. We're not going to jump too far ahead going against them, but I do think it will be a good test against Kent State. And the last thing is just 
on like you talked about it, Dylan, earlier on third downs. On defense, they need to get off the field on third down, but really more so on offense. You talked about the two and ten. I they've been good on third down against West Virginia. They were pretty good. Howard, obviously, not great competition, but they were good on third down. Two and ten is really just unacceptable on third down. You're gonna win very few ball games going two and ten on third down. And um, when Illinois got, they were having a trouble. They were having trouble getting Illinois off the field when they were defending on third down. So it's really like third down can really change the balance of an entire game, especially in the second half late in games, getting a team off on third down and continuing to move the chains on third down. So that's something that I know that Mike Locks even talked about that he said like they're going to be putting an emphasis on. So if there's one thing that they, they really need to work on, it's that third down offense and defense. It's definitely something to look out for moving forward. But Maryland, you know, they still get the win. And Lauren, I want to go back to a point you mentioned before. This has to be a wake-up call, right? I mean, this, there's no other way to put it. You, they should have lost this game. I mean, they were down 17 to 10 with, with basically the game almost the game basically done. The game was done at almost one point. And, Mar- and, it, and it probably should have gone to overtime as well if Illinois didn't call that what ended up being a critical timeout that afforded Maryland some extra time. Maryland goes down the field and wins the game. So be it. Maryland gets the 2017 win. But if you're just looking at the game from a statistical standpoint and just the eye test in general, Maryland should have lost that game. So I think that this should definitely be some sort of a wake-up call, for the, especially for this offense that wasn't really able to uh, finish drives. So moving forward, uh, Maryland's going to have I – th- I think this should be a wake-up call. But if you look at the road matchups coming up, similar to uh, Maryland's first road matchup against Illinois, they'll be taking on Ohio State, Minnesota, Michigan State, and Rutgers on the road. Just that at these games alone, does this one road game against Illinois, is this, do you think it'll be more of a fluke of a performance, or is this something to keep an eye on in Maryland's Big Ten road matchups? I think it's a learning experience. I mean, Illinois, we talked about, it was a great environment. It was a Friday night game, um, nas- like nationally televised game. A lot, of, a lot of people were watching it, even though it went until 1 a.m. Or, or later than 1 a.m. But, um, but so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a learning test for them. I think uh, Talia will only get better playing in road environments. Ohio State is obviously not going to be easy to play in. Michigan State has, uh, is known for a rabid fan base, and their road environments are not easy to play in. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult. Road matchups are, are harder than home. That's for every sport. That's certainly for college football. So I think it's just they, they, have, to con- they have to work on playing in road environments and then getting go, going through adversity. And I think this was a good test and a good learning experience for Talia and really the entire team. I think that Illinois was also, I agree with you, but I do think that Illinois was even a rowdier crowd than they were expecting and for a longer period of time. And I think that in some ways, maybe it'll make these other road games easier in some sense because they've had early exposure to it. I do think that Ohio State and Michigan State are going to be ridiculous environments and whether they had had the exposure to Illinois or not beforehand I don't think makes much of a difference but I think at Minnesota and Rutgers which are two potential winnable games for Maryland it definitely helps that they were able to play Illinois on this like uh, you know on the off Friday night that it was their first road game short and week like all these extraneous circumstances and still were able to win I think it's good practice for kind of what's ahead and really can showcase you know, if Maryland was able to stay calm under pressure in that circumstance, 
and the rest of these games are kind of just about playing higher level opponents on the road, I think when you eliminate all those other factors, it's kind of a really great indicator of what they can do on the road. Right. And, you know, one of those matchups on the, on the road looking, because now their non-conference schedule is coming to an end after the Kent State game. So out of those three matchups, Minnesota, Michigan State, and Rutgers, those are all very, they're winnable matchups and ones that Maryland will need to win if they want to get to that five-win benchmark and even push six or possibly even seven wins. I would argue that the game on October 23rd against Minnesota on the road is probably going to be one of the most important, if not the most important game of the season, just how it's going to set the tone the rest of the way. So after Kent State, Maryland's going to take on Iowa. That's going to be obviously a tough game at home, no matter how that ends up. And then they go on the road to Ohio State. That's We will all be going to that one. That'll be a fun one for the Testudo Times crew. Very excited to go to that one. That's also obviously a very difficult environment to win in with the, the powerhouse that Ohio State is. And then they come across the Minnesota matchup. And that's a winnable game. And then, I mean, just looking at that, after that, there's Indiana and Penn State both at home. And, I mean, it just sets the tone for the rest of the season. It's just sandwiched in between such difficult matchups. But it's, it's Iowa, Ohio State, Minnesota, then Indiana, Penn State. Four out of those five teams are some of the best in the Big Ten. And Minnesota's right in the middle of the pack. And that's got to be that's, – that's a game that Maryland needs to win on the road. Yes, I think the Big Ten is – we knew it was deep. We knew it was a great conference. I think it's even better than we expected this season. I mean, we were looking at Michigan State as a team that Maryland can go in go in and win. Michigan State is now ranked number 20 in the country, and they just blew the doors out of, out of Miami, who was an underdog. I mean, as an underdog, Michigan State was. So, I mean, it, it's incredibly impressive what they've done. That's not, that's certainly not a winnable game. Who knows who will be favored in that one later in the season. Rutgers is off to a 3-0 start, another winnable game that we thought against Maryland. They haven't played any Big Ten opponents, but they played solid teams, Syracuse, Temple. So, we don't, we don't know who's going to be favored in that. There's a possibility that Maryland, after this week against Kent State, is not favored in any game the rest of the season. That's a, that's a strong possibility, which is obviously incredibly difficult. They got off to that 4-0 start, and where they play Iowa, they play Ohio State. Those are two of the best teams in the entire country. We expect them to be 4-2 six, with six games into the season. And really from there, to get to that, they want to obviously they want to win every single game. To get to that six-win benchmark where they're eligible for a goal game, bowl game, it's really going to be tough, and there are going to be serious battles as the season gets going in the Big Ten. And like, honestly, I, I don't, I don't know if they're going to get there. I think you talk about that Minnesota game. I think that's a winnable game. Minnesota hasn't been in, incredibly impressive. They're again another middle pack team. But these things that we've been talking about, we're going to need to see Maryland fix them up if they're going to win these absolute blood matches. I don't even know how to describe it. It's going to be war in the Big Ten. <laughs> war, yes. I agree with the war comment. But yeah, I agree with you, Dylan, about how that Minnesota game is really meant to set the tone. I think that Iowa and Ohio State are going to be really tough ma- conference matchups for Maryland. And then kind of going on the road to Minnesota after being on the road against Ohio State is definitely kind of a lot within a short period of time. But to be, if they were able to go to Minnesota and come out with the win and then come home for back-to-back home games against, it was Indiana and Penn State, there really is such a nice momentum swing in their favor. Like Those are going to be, assuming that Maryland continues to perform at the way they've been performing and the student section continues to show out as the way that they are, and you know, 
fans from in-state continue to come. The atmosphere at Maryland Stadium has been incredible. And so I think if they can win against Minnesota on the road and come out like that and be able to kind of swing momentum in their favor. But I think out of those games that we consider to be winnable on the road, like Minnesota, Michigan State, and Rutgers, that um, Michigan State game is going to be one tough matchup, especially like Sam, you mentioned the way that they beat Miami the other day, pretty dominant. And then to, you know, go on the road to face them with the kind of fan base that they have, it's unbelievable. And that's going to be a challenge for Maryland, but I think it's still going to be a really great and exciting game. Yeah. And and just, you know, we jumped ahead a little, but now I think we can go right back into the upcoming Kent State matchup. So Maryland, Kent State, they're meeting on September 25th. Game will be in College Park at 3.30 p.m., and it is Young Terps Day. And Maryland is favored by over – yes, I had to mention that it's Young what Terps Day. Exactly it's, Young Terps? I, I'm not sure exactly what it entails. However, it's listed on the schedule, so I felt obliged to mention we'll it. We'll be celebrating. Yes, Young Terps. Everyone's celebrating Young Terps Day. So Maryland is favored by over two touchdowns, 14.5 points. Just initial reactions on that line. I think it's a little high. I, I kind of expected it to be more eight and a half, ten and a half, but I mean, Vegas really thinks that Maryland is is going to win by over two scores just by the spread alone. So I think that's a very interesting line. And then just looking at Kent State, uh, the the Golden Flashes. I think that's one of the most interesting team names I've ever heard. The Golden I love I love the Golden Flashes, and I mean, they're one and two in the mid and they're in the Mid American Conference. They had a three and one season last year. Um, their head coach, Sean Lewis, very good head coach, very young. And he's really turned this Kent State program around. And they had back-to-back winning seasons for the first time since the, like the, the 70s, I believe. It was kind of crazy. So Kent State, they're, and they're slowly becoming a formidable opponent. And Maryland's going to have – they're going to get their money's worth against Kent State. I mean, they're 1-2 and two this year, but they faced really tough teams. And that's something that head coach Mike Loxley mentioned a lot in the presser, how they faced – Texas A&M and Iowa, and they really held their ground for a, a good portion of the game. They lost 41-10 to 10 against Texas A&M, and they lost 30-7 to 7 against Iowa, but they really kept it close in those, you know, in those first halves. So Kent State, I mean, it's not an opponent that they can really it's, – it's the same thing. It's a little different than Howard because Howard is just on a different stratosphere than what the Maryland football program is. But they, they really can't afford to overlook a game like Kent State as this is really the first dress rehearsal before the crazy stretch of talented Big Ten teams that they're going to face. Yeah, Kent, Kent State is absolutely not a look-over game. It's not Howard at all. Kent State is a legitimate – not that Howard isn't, but Kent State is a legitimate football program that has played as tough competition as you could possibly find. Um, and they – the Texas A&M game, yes, the score may have not indicated how close it was, but it, at halftime it was 10-3 to – Texas A&M. So, I mean, that, that is a legitimately close score. And Kent State was in the game the whole time. They played Iowa pretty tough. This team is, this isn't a game where you're expecting, okay, yeah, we can probably play the bench in that fourth quarter or in that second half. Uh, Kent State is going to keep this ball game close, at least for the first half. I think the line is about accurate. Um, Maryland should win by a couple touchdowns, but obviously who knows, who knows what's going to happen. Whatever we predict, the opposite will happen. Um, <laughs> But I do – like, Kent State is certainly not a look-over game. It's not a walk-over game. Maryland is going to need to bring their A game at 3.30 on Saturday, and I know they will. And 
Obviously, you can make the argument this is like a classic look-ahead game. You know, Iowa is coming into College Park, which is one of, it will be one of the best environments that the Shell has seen in years. It's one of the biggest games for Maryland against Iowa next Friday night in College Park. So you could be like, okay, yeah, so we're looking ahead to that game. Kent State, everyone just expects it as a W on that calendar. We're even here talking how they're going to be 4-0 going into the Iowa game. But if they have that approach, they very well could get upset to Kent State. But I know I Loxley would never let that get into their heads, even if there's outside noise about that. He's very much one day at a time, one week at a time. So I'm not worried about that happening. To other, but to other programs, it certainly could with Iowa approaching next week. But again, I mean, Kent State is a good team. They're going to they're gonna play Maryland super tough. They're not going to back down at any point in time. Maryland's the superior team. I expect their offense to start clicking again. And I think they'll be able to score with somewhat ease. So I expect Maryland to win, not in a tight game. I expect them to win somewhat easily, but it's not gonna. It's not gonna be a walkover. Yeah. Before I get into my thoughts on Kent State, I believe that Young Turfs Day is a day where I think kid fans are encouraged. Kid fans. To come. I don't think I've heard kid, that term before. Kid, kid fans. fans. Young fans to come and I think there will be fun activities for them before the game and all that but on the note of Kent State I feel like when we were first looking at the schedule it was definitely a little bit off that they were that Maryland was going to go travel to Illinois for this big Friday night game and then come back and have another non-conference opponent but I honestly think that this is a great non-conference opponent to have um, before going back into conference play I think that Kent State running game is de- the pressure that they have is definitely going to be a great test for this Maryland defense as I mentioned before. It's a really great opportunity for Talia and the rest of the offense to really show what they can do before going into big um, the rest of Big Ten conference play and you know look not looking ahead to Iowa but I think that this is another really great message for kind of Coach Loxley and to continue to kind of um, practice what they've been talking about which is playing to their standard for the entirety of the time and I think that this is, you know, play, playing to Maryland standard is just as important in the Kent State, Kent State game as it will be against the rest of the opponents, including Iowa, who's coming in next week. So Maryland Kent State are going to be facing together Saturday afternoon. It's going to be a great game. And so I think now we can end off with our great predictions. It's Lauren's favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> it's after our, our – yeah, so let's, let's get right into predictions. I think I'll go first. And, you know, I overshot it last week. I think I said 38-14, but I think we were all way off. So uh, we're not going to count last week as any predictions. We should start keeping track of these, by the way, you know, just to get some idea. Yeah, just to, just to see how bad we've been with these predictions. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think it's, it's so tough because Kent State, I, I'm going to assume that they play Maryland very tight. And I think Maryland is going to, I think they're going to go to 4-0. I think it's also for the first time since 2016, or I'm not sure. But I think they will go to 4-0, and I will say they score 31 points, and Kent State is held to 21. I will say 31-21 in favor of Maryland, and Kent State covers the spread. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a, it's not, my prediction is not too far off from yours, which means it'll probably we'll both be wrong. <laughs> oh, great. Um, I have Maryland winning 30-14. to 14. I think the game's pretty close in the first half. I think Maryland comes out. Second half offense is better than the first half offense. They figure out Kent State's uh, running game. I think they kind of – maybe Kent State's an opportunity late to cut it somewhat close, but I think 
Maryland um, goes ahead late, and they really just take control of the game. 30-14 to 14 is my prediction. Maryland barely covers the spread. Um, I'll do something a little different, I guess. Um, I'll say that Maryland's offense corrects itself after last week's performance and scores. Got to think about it. Got to think about it. I think that I, – I do think that Kent State scores at least 14 points. I agree with that. I think that they'll have two touchdowns. I think their running game is going to be challenging for Maryland's defense, and I think that they will have two touchdowns. I'll say um, 34. Okay. 30. So 30, 34, okay. <laughs> 34, right? Yeah. 34 for Maryland? Yeah. And what is Kent State? 14. 34 to 14. Okay. Pretty similar. Yeah. Okay. Pretty, pretty similar. similar. Yeah. Actually. So. I'll say 34. Okay. So. Oh, we'll, we had 10 to yep. Games. Yep. We'll all be wrong come Saturday, but that doesn't matter. Our predictions are in. They're locked in. And now we're looking forward to the Saturday game. So I guess that'll do it for this edition of the Testudo Times podcast. Thank you so much for listening this week. Obviously, we will be next. We will be back next week on Wednesday, recording another podcast, getting it out at the similar time that we always do. So thank you so much for listening and tune in next week to the next Tattoo Times podcast.